choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Pastor Mike, and it's great to be with you once again, albeit virtually rather than in the studio. And hopefully at the end of April, we may get together in the studio once again. And uh, that's something we can all look forward to. But um, I don't think we're doing a bad job so far. Let's just keep it that way. But, of course, the great news today was, of course, that we put the clocks forward. We sprang forward into British summertime. And that always means a lot of excitement for people because it does seem to make the evenings longer. Because, of course, it does effectively give us an hour extra of daylight in the evening time. Uh, but, of course, we take that from the morning. These, this popular idea that we actually gain an hour of daylight in spring when we put the clocks forward is, is a myth. Because, of course, all we're doing is changing the hours of daylight um, depending on the time zone. Uh, we still have the same amount of darkness, the same amount of daylight, but of course it does lengthen as we go towards the summer, and of course the summer solstice. So we put the clocks forward, and we've now got this spring sky, but of course a few weeks ago, well, about 10 days ago now, or was a week, a week ago, um, 21st of March, well the 20th of March to be precise, we had the vernal equinox. The vernal equinox is the time when the sun crosses the equator as we head north as it heads north and we start to get the the lighter nights and the spring has officially started so those are the um the, the main astronomical feature of this time of the year is of course the vernal equinox and that occurred as i say on the 20th of march there's another popular misconception about the time of the equinox People think that's the time when it's exactly the same time at sunrise and at sunset, you know, 12 hours apart. And whilst that is more or less true, it's not exactly true. The actual phenomenon of the equilux, the equilux is the name given to when we have equal day and equal night, actually usually occurs a few days ahead of the vernal equinox, as indeed it did this year on, I think it was the 18th of March. It's all to do with refraction and um, the position of the Earth as it turns on its axis and all those sort of things. The other thing about the vernal equinox is I've mentioned already the fact that it's it's on the 20th of March this year, but it can be as early as the 19th of March, or it can be as late as the 21st of March. We actually got a 19th of March equinox in 1999, and the next time this will happen will be in 2044. Uh, we had a 21st of March equinox in 2007, but we've got a long wait for the next one, which will be 2101. And the other great thing about the equinox is, of course, it helps us to define when Easter is. Easter is always the next Sunday after the first full moon after the vernal equinox, which means we can have Easter Sunday as early as the 22nd of March, which won't occur now until 2285, or as late as the 25th of April. And this one will occur in just 17 years' time on the 25th of April 2038. So, interesting things going on in the sky, but these are all technical stuff. What about what we can actually see in the sky at the moment? Well, as I mentioned earlier, the spring sky really is a bit of a breather from the majestic constellations of the winter. We've still got the remnants of the constellation Gemini still lingering on the western horizon, but that quickly disappears. And what we've got now is a big 
constellation right in the middle of the southern sky looking from the Isle of Man at about 10 o'clock at night and this is the unmistakable constellation of Leo the Lion and Leo the Lion really is a wonderful constellation it happens to be my birth sign but that's not why I think it's wonderful it's a very big constellation and what's great about Leo is it does look something something like what it's meant to represent so if you look sort of selfish at about 10 o'clock at night depending on what time of the, of the month you're looking if you look in that vicinity you will see quite distinctly a quite a bright star this is the star regulus the principal star the king of the constellation of the of the leo and leo does as i say look something like what it's meant to represent if you imagine a reversed question mark with the dot of the question mark at the bottom that's the star regulus and then the head makes up the top of the question mark and his body stretches out towards the eastern horizon but there's a much easier way to find leo and that's to go back to the plow now, if we look at the plough, it's not sitting on the, the northern horizon anymore. It's actually sitting almost overhead. It's going to be, depending on what time of night you're looking, it's either going to be on its side at about the two o'clock position or maybe overhead if you're looking a bit later on. Well, if you follow the curve of the handle down, you come to a very bright star in the sky, and that's the star Arcturus. It's got a distinctively orangey-coloured hue to it, and it is indeed an orange star. It's got a very similar spectral type as our own sun, which is, of course, a yellow star rather than a bluey-white star. Well, Arcturus is actually the fourth brightest star we can see in our Manx night sky. There's only three other stars brighter than it, and then... Um, only one of them, Sirius, is visible from the Isle of Man. That's the star we talked about in previous months in the heights of our winter. Arcturus has got a real claim to fame, though, because in 1933, the Americans had a, a, a conference, an expo in Chicago they wanted to open, and they wanted to do something special. And the last time they'd had an expo in Chicago was 40 years previously, in 1893. So 40 years on, they wanted to do something, and they wanted to do something that showed how marvellously technological they could all be. Someone came up with the bright idea of finding a star that's the same distance away in light years and then use the light from that star to light up all the lights for the uh, expo. And that's what they did, and they used the star Arcturus for it. Just a wonderful little footnote of history there, and there's some wonderful stuff you can find on the internet about it. But having found the star Arcturus and the line of the stars of the plough leading to Arcturus, follow that line further on and you will come to another bright star in the sky, and this is the star Spica. And Spica is the principal star in the constellation of Virgo the Virgin. Quite a lot of faint stars in Virgo, but the brightness of Spiker itself makes up for it. But then follow that line, not the same line now, but go up a bit from Spiker and come across to the southern horizon, and you should come to the star Regulus we spoke about just a little bit earlier. So that's what we can see in our night skies uh, at the moment uh, as we move into April. Um, but just one thing that I will confess, I've always told people the best time or the best place to look at the stars is always in the southern horizon. Well, a few weeks ago, pretty late on, about half past midnight, I had cause to go outside the front door of our house. It was a beautiful clear night and I'd noticed already the stars of Virgo and Leo and all the rest and thought far fewer stars than there are in the middle of the winter. It's typical of the spring when we tend to concentrate on a seasonal basis on the stars of each particular season at around 10, 11 o'clock at night. So the stars I've just been talking to you about of Spiker and Arcturus and Leo and, and Regulus are all those stars we see in the southern sky. 
I went outside about half past midnight in mid-February and there it was, the sky in the north really was quite spectacular. Not as spectacular as we get in the winter months, but certainly most impressive because we have the, the, the ploughers pretty well straight overhead. We have the star Arcturus off to the right-hand side or looking towards the eastern horizon as I'm facing north. And the constellation of uh, Cassiopeia, the distinctive W shape of Cassiopeia, was sitting more or less on the northern horizon. And like most astronomers, I just don't tend to bother looking at the northern sky too often. My house does actually face south and I've got lots of streetlights out the front, so I don't tend to look in the northern sky very often. But I thought, wow, what a change, what a difference. So have a look round all of the sky. You never know what you might get to see. The other thing we want to look at in the April sky is, of course, one of the great meteor showers. I say great because it's not as good as some of the other showers we get, like the ones in August, the Persids or the Geminids or even the Quadrantids in January. Uh, but the Lyrids are the first sort of shower we get as we move into the spring sky. And the Lyrid shower, you only get about 15 an hour. And it runs quite a wide spread from about the 14th to the 30th of April. But we get a distinctive peak on and around the 21st of the month. So worth looking out for. Lyra is one of the summer constellations, so you need to be looking in the eastern horizon at around about the time of about um, around midnight when we're facing the direction of travel. And the last thing I didn't mention earlier, I should have mentioned earlier, was the fact that literally today we have, of course, the first supermoon of 2021. And the supermoon, of course, means that the moon is that little bit nearer to us. So as a consequence, it is slightly bigger in the sky. But I, I always dismiss the supermoon myth because it, it really is a, just a, um, a thing to make us look up. And it's an astrologically... Um, originated in the name of that but if you want to try something out for yourself cover the, the moon with your little fingernail stretched at arm's length and wherever you look at the moon wherever you can see it full or half super moon or wimpy moon or whatever it will always be capable of being covered by your little fingernail so well, that covers pretty well everything we can see in the April sky for us now what better song to play at this time of the year than April come she will by Simon and Garfunkel. April, come she will When streams are ripe and swelled with rain Resting in my arms again June She'll change her tune In restless walk She'll prowl the night July She will fly And give no September I remember A 
love once knew has now grown old. Well, I hope you enjoyed that song. A uh, real classic song. Really has that lovely spring feeling to it. So, that's the April sky for us. What can we talk about in the world of space exploration at the moment? Well, as I've said previously on this programme, there is so much seems to be going on these days, I struggle myself to keep pace with it. Of course, a lot of the great information or the great news we've got at the moment is still about the the, the NASA probe Perseverance, uh, the little rover that landed on Mars a few weeks ago now. That really is still a fantastic story. I know they were playing it on the radio on the morning the other day. I think it was one of Mark Tiley's What's This sound, and it was actually the, the sound of the Perseverance rover roving over the terrain in Mars. And uh, it was lots of clunks and grinds and all the rest. And this isn't being done for any publicity stunt. It's being done so that NASA can fully understand exactly what wear and tear occurs on these sort of vehicles. Can you consider how far away they are? They can't little get a little man out from the local garage to service it. Um, when something goes wrong, I'm afraid that it, it usually can't be fixed uh, unless it's a software issue, which, of course, they possibly can. What will be in the news in the next few days, of course, is the fact that the little rover itself, or the quite big rover, it's about the size of a mini, this rover, is actually going to deploy its helicopter. Yes, it's not science fiction. I didn't make all this up. This actual rover has got a helicopter on board, or maybe the best word would be a drone. The, the helicopter is attached to the underside of the rover, and they release the debris shield, which would protect it during the landing. They released that a few days ago, and they've put that on the surface and now they've moved away from that the next job now is to deploy the actual little helicopter itself again from underneath the perseverance rover and this will then be um, assemble itself for want of a better word it's like um origami basically it's a reverse origami they're going to unfold everything so it can uh, be tested out thoroughly and then they're going to fly it this is very much a tester this is very much a technology prover they want to see if this vehicle will work they've tested it in um low pressure environments in chambers on the earth and all sorts of things but they're not 100 percent sure exactly how well it will work if it works then it completely changes the ability of us to explore the martian landscape just imagine you can land on mars send a drone or a helicopter out into the distance to see what you want to go and look for be it uh, samples of rock or something that you may want to extract from the surface a glacier for instance if you think there's a hidden glacier there you can actually find exactly where it is and then you can go to it and with robotic instruments, uh, you can extract the ice and change that into its component parts of hydrogen and oxygen. So very exciting, lots going on, and just watch the news because there's going to be so much more about it as well. Incidentally, it's also deployed its laser, and one of the other sound bites that NASA have sent to us now is the actual sound of the rocks being blasted by the laser on Mars. I just hope there's no little green men up there watching. They might think it's a hostile act. One of the other great things that's going on at the moment is that NASA have finally done their complete test on the new engines of the SLS launch vehicle. This is the launch vehicle that NASA are developing at the moment, which is going to send astronauts to the moon and possibly to Mars in the hopefully not too distant future. They had a huge test of this rocket. They fueled it all up, or the engines anyway. They got the engines fueled up and they did a test run in January, uh, but they switched it off after a minute. It was meant to run for eight minutes, which is to simulate the time it takes to get from the launch pad up to where the first stage engines are cut out 
or run out of fuel basically and and they did the second test a few weeks ago now about a week ago it was and that test was 100 successful and nasa are very excited about that in fact and um, they're actually talking now of possibly launching the rocket as early as the end of this year unmanned of course it won't be manned initially but they're looking at maybe launching that sometime at the end of this year Another great story, of course, and it keeps on coming, the SpaceX story. SpaceX, of course, flying ahead, literally, um, with their testing of their Starship rockets. And as I speak, they've just announced that the postponement of the test launch of SN11, which was scheduled to have taken place on Friday, but is now being put off until Monday. The last one actually left the pad, did its test and everything else, and then actually landed. It actually came down and it landed reasonably successfully unfortunately there was a fire there was a leak in one of the tanks or one of the valves and then um, there was a fire which uh, quickly was um, suppressed and um, but it was still smoldering i want for want of a better word underneath the, the launch vehicle or the the spacecraft uh, snl sn10 this was and uh, about eight minutes later the whole thing erupted in what elon musk calls a rapid unscheduled disassembly or in other words it just blew up but before we finish, I would also like to just tell you a little bit about something else that's going on in space, and that's about Mars, but something we didn't really expect to happen. I mean, with Mars, um, we're always looking at Mars with robotic telescopes, we've got instruments in orbit and all the rest. Well, there's a, a mountain on Mars called Astamons, Astamons, and it looked to be erupting. If you looked at this through uh, f- photographs from spacecraft, admittedly, it appeared to have a big streak of um, smoke coming out of it, and it's just actually a formation of clouds and it's incredible it's about 1800 kilometers in length about a thousand miles and um it's at first glance everyone thought this can't be true because we know mars mars is not capable of supporting an active volcano and erupting material like smoke and dust and ash into the atmosphere like we have on earth which incidentally we've been having recently in iceland and at mount etna this particular feature on mars is just clouds which are literally forming on the slopes of the volcano and appear to be streaming away from the centre of the volcano or the mountain Arsta Mons. So a fascinating story and as I say, they just keep on coming. Another story I just tell you about briefly, it was the Hubble Space Telescope, which is one of my favourite topics, one of my lectures I do on that. I, I love doing this one because I always finish with pictures of the, um, that the Hubble has taken of outer space and there's some fantastic picture. But a few weeks ago, there was a problem. They had a real problem with the Space Telescope. One of the gyros failed. It had a problem with the onboard instrumentation so they shut it down for about four and a half days and again this particular telescope is 31 years old now it was launched in 1990 it was famously fixed in 1994 by the team of astronauts and has since had five servicing calls uh, to it and it's still working and we're hoping and praying that this one will um, still survive long enough but it might be able to work in tandem with a brand new telescope, the James Webb Telescope, which is going to be launched later this year. As I say, Judith, lots going on, always something to talk about, but hopefully uh, this time uh, next month we can talk about it in the studio together. Well, in the meantime, I hope everyone enjoys the night skies and the features that are we've talked about today and um, keep your eyes peeled on the news and the various bulletins there's lots of stuff going to be talked about the helicopter on mars in particular and don't forget we've still got the chinese rover uh, yet to be uh, sent down to the surface it's still orbiting mars at the moment the chinese always said they wouldn't land their rover until probably may or june time so that one will be in the news in the next few, few months anyway so we'll be talking about that then 
In the meantime, have a good evening and thank you very much indeed. Good night. Show